manure management and cover crops. That's going to be our, our topic here today. And I got to admit that when I, when I listed this topic out, I didn't realize I didn't have a whole lot of pictures to support what I'm going to be talking about. So I need to, needed to get a little bit better at that. Uh, I guess partly the reason is, is I don't, uh, do a lot of, uh, manure here recently on my farm. Uh, by history though, has been over the last 20 or 30 years, we had a, uh, a neighboring hog operation that needed to get rid of some manure. We had a neighboring chicken operation. And it's kind of interesting that both of them are no longer in business. And you know, it's okay because my phosphorus levels are getting a little bit too high anyway. So, uh, I guess you'd say that's kind of worked out, uh, okay. Uh, and I will say, ironically, right now, as I speak, my son's spreading, uh, mushroom compost. We we're able to get some of that. And I really like that because there is, uh, a lower rate of phosphorus in that and a higher rate of, of potassium. So <clears throat> I just wanted to say that in, man- in managing manure, maybe I should have added compost here. You know, we're looking at the nutrient values and so forth, but today's conversation will have to do with how do we manage manure in the context of cover cropping. And I, I think that there's not enough uh, maybe talked about. I actually don't recall ever being asked to speak on this topic uh, as a standalone topic. And I just, again, evaluating and, and preparing for this here, it was kind of, I was kind of scratching my head, thought, well, we really need to tackle this. But that's why I put it in here in our, in our lineup here, because I think it's something we need to learn more about. So, uh, this is just a picture in my local area that I saw one day. And, and this was later in the fall. I'm, I'm going to guess here, end of September, uh, corn silage taken off and then manure spread on it and no cover crop planted. You know, what a waste of opportunity for the farmer. And then, you know, not that we want to harp on the environmental side of it, but this is just setting us up for problems. And I would say this is where the the environmental side of the equation has some teeth because this, frankly, I don't feel is right. I don't think it's good management. Um, uh, when we think about the vulnerability of having nutrients here, in this case coming from the manure, being able to either run off or, or leach down into the soil profile and get in our groundwater or whatever. So just wanted to start out with a picture here depicting there's just no reason for this. There's plenty of time to plant a cover crop here in, in this location. So there's just really no excuse for that to have that, for that to happen. I, I would just, you know, in, in the outset, put that out there. Now, one of the couple of things I'm going to be sharing today is, uh, some of the specifics is, the timing of both manure application and cover crop planting, and then manure rates and also cover crop seeding rates in the context of manure, and some of the methods of application. And and uh, there's some fairly common ones that we're gonna that we're gonna touch on. But to start out, I think the first question that we need to deal with, and this is in the context of knowing that timing is everything, and that is both with cover crops. And with manure, and and there's, that's always like a a kind of a uh, you know when you have the opportunity to spread manure, usually it's like get her done ASAP. Same with cover crops, when that opportunity arrives, get her done ASAP. So 
The question I've heard frequently is, what is the most priority for a manure application in the fall? So I'm going to just talk about the fall here now, because that's when those two elements are, are before us. So do we get out there and get their manure spread first, then plant the cover crop, or do we plant the cover crop first and spread manure? Now, there's no right or wrong answer to this question. However, it is preferred to get the cover crop planted first, if that's possible. Now, there's a lot of variables when we think about this. Sometimes there's custom manure application where you're a little bit subject to when that person can come in and actually uh, haul the manure for you. So I, I get that. I understand that. But here, in order to get to maximize the growing degree days, that is why I am suggesting that cover crops get planted first. And that's one big reason. The other big reason is that when a cover crop is established and starting to grow, it can immediately begin to take up nutrients. And pretty much the one we're worried about is, of course, nitrogen in the manure, the nitrate form of nitrogen, the available form of nitrogen. I've heard it said that nitrate nitrogen is an escape artist, and it behooves us as farmers to keep it in our fields so that we can use it later on for our cash crops. So cover crops fit perfectly into that. Basically, we catch it and then we release it next year in time for our uh, our cash crop. That's the theory behind it. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to manage for that. And so I am suggesting here that if possible, we plant our cover crop first and then we go and spread manure when we have time. Now, if that can't happen, that's, you know, you just have to do what you got to do. Uh, spreading the manure first, let's just use the example of maybe early high moisture corn harvests or something coming off or, or just early corn harvest for grain. If you have to spread as soon as the combine leaves the field, then you're going to want to come in and plant as soon as it basically dries off, the manure dries so you can get through. Uh, with your planter or go in right away and plant with your with your grain, grain drill and then spread it later. Now, we have something like silage, something that comes off early or further south where you have more time. There could be a little bit more flexibility there. But generally speaking, I'm suggesting that we plant your cover crop first. Even here in my local area, we have quite a few Amish, and a lot of them are, in fact, no-tilling and using cover crops, and they like to take the corn fodder off, the corn stalks after harvest, to bring it in for bedding, for animal bedding. And because that is very timely according to drier weather, and, and, and they're not going to start doing that until they're all of their corn is harvested, what some of them are doing now is harvesting their corn and then immediately using a good no-till drill and getting their cover crop established and then coming back and spreading manure later after they take off the corn fodder. So if you follow that there, the uh, the process of taking off the corn fodder doesn't really damage the cover crop much because it's very small, but it gets it growing. So that is kind of the creative type of scenarios that I just want to give you an example here. Get the cover crop planted first and then spread manure later. And again, you can uh, get the benefit then of that cover crop being able to catch almost immediately nitrate nitrogen. Well, how soon is too early after emergence? And I would like to say that there is a vulnerable time there that you do want to avoid. 
So this does take some careful management. And I, I dug this picture out here because it illustrated exactly what I wanted here. When you have a cover crop recently emerged, in this case, one to two or three inches, as you know, it's very susceptible to burning. Uh, that's a little radish over there in the kind of lower right-hand corner. Uh, you put uh, 6,000 gallons of liquid hog manure on there, there's a good chance that radish may be fried, uh, and that's not good. Probably ain't going to hurt the, the the rye that's growing there. But the other thing, too, is wherever the wheel tracks fall or if you're putting a little heavier rates of thicker dairy manure, you're going to smother this out. And so this is some of the caveats, and you have to understand this because you could basically almost take out all your cover crop with uh, with higher rates of slurry type or, or higher organic matter type manure so again there's some management issues uh going through here that you do need to be aware of but still try to get your cover crop planted as soon as possible so basically once your cover crop gets to be four inches and higher then it becomes okay to spread is probably going to survive uh, i will say of course cereal rye is of course the most popular cover crop later on in the season it is difficult to to kill cereal rye with manure so that being said, if you put 10 or 10,000 gallons or more of slurry on, you could suffocate it out. Uh, but again, just being prudent and uh, in that is, is very wise. I'll, I'll just say that some of the more successful, progressive uh, cover cropping no-till farmers that I know are actually doing a fall spread and then a spring spread on the same amount of acres. But they're going with low rates, sometimes down to less than 3,000 gallons per acre. And I know that gets a little bit uh, low for some application equipment. But their whole their whole mindset behind that is to maximize the nutrients they have in the manure. Because if you put out 10,000 gallons of manure in the fall on a very, very small cover crop, you are going to lose some. So I'm just sharing some of the ideas that I've heard about, some of the ideas that I like to share so that you can best utilize management. Now, I understand some of the limits of hauling where when you're in a field a certain distance away, you may only want to do it once a year and, you know, ground conditions got to be decent. But once you get into the system of cover crops and no-till, the ground becomes a lot more forgiving. I think we all know that. But I like to say you earn the right then for greater options. You earn the right to do some of these other things where you have a much wider window of spreading opportunity because your soil is simply stronger. The soil aggregates that build the rooting system, the root mass that's in that soil helps protect it and prevent compaction and so forth. So over time, you earn the right to get in your fields when, you know, you, 10, 20 years ago, you may not have been able to do that or your neighbors can't do it because they're still doing a lot of tillage and don't have good soil structure. So these are some of the rewards you get with good management in uh, in this whole thing. So uh, basically four inches and over is is what I'm saying. Uh, sometimes when you have mixed species, you'll have different heights in there. And again, you got to be prudent with this. I'm just giving you general things to think about. Little tiny crimson clovers that may not grow much could be uh, susceptible, but you don't want many legumes anyway when you're using manure. 
And I'm not saying zero legumes, but there could be a reason for the spring where you're not going to come back with manure and you want a little bit more of a boost of nitrogen production or you simply want the diversity. I understand that. I get that. I mean, I would do it on, on my farm here, but you're going to be emphasizing grass type cover crops. That's the key point here that you want to do in order to maximize use of nitrate nitrogen. That's what we're really going after. And to a lesser degree, uh, sulfur, which is also leachable as well, and boron. Uh, but that being said, those those nutrients also are important to keep them in the soil profile and cover crops can help do that. Now, uh, here's one of the slides that I, I know I have a picture somewhere of wheel tracks taken out, uh, equipment wheel tracks taken out when you spread manure on cover crops. But I couldn't find that picture, so I just used this one instead here. So yes, uh, especially if you have radishes and maybe a smaller type cover crop, the tracks of the equipment, the wheel tracks, may be burned out or maybe may die just from running over them with the wheels or just because of the combination of running over with heavy uh, tire tracks and the manure going on making that that plants right there in the wheel track more susceptible to dying. So uh, that's just something that, that we can expect. But if you have a tough uh, little annual rye grass or cereal rye or triticale, chances are they're going to survive. But I have seen smaller radishes and they're, you know, they're just more succulent to begin with and they will kill much easier with wheel tracks. But that being said, I'll just put a little plug in here for radishes. I've seen enough of data that in the fall, a radish can indeed take up more nitrogen than cereal rye when they're planted at the same date. Now, once we get into October in most places, the radish doesn't have time to do a lot. But if you're spreading manure in September and you have radishes, the radishes will take up more than cereal rye. So, again, it all goes into how much you're spreading, what your analysis of your manure is, your seeding rates, your cover crop, all that stuff. Uh, enters into that equation. So uh, I think it's important to know here you may see the wheel tracks, but the, the benefit that you gain out of everything else there I think is 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 going to be worthwhile even if you lose a little bit of uh, cover crops. So certainly doesn't happen all the time, but it will happen. So that's just something to uh, to watch out for. Well, what are some of the the manure rates that that are kind of a benchmark that you can understand uh, again what to put on? And these numbers I'm going to tell you are very general. Um, I could break them out into different um, species from the animals or where the manure comes from. But uh, if you have liquid manure, uh, I'm just going to say 6,000 gallons or less on four inches or higher cover crop is probably going to be okay. Uh, but just to you know, just to be a little bit more specific within that, if you have a very thick slurry of dairy manure, that could be borderline smothering capable, uh, the potential. Uh, if you could probably put 10,000 gallons of liquid hog manure on it, it wouldn't be a problem because it's a lot less organic matter in it, but that may then burn your crop pretty bad. So there's a lot of variables in this. I think a lot of it is going to be trial and error, see what works with your specifics, uh, variables that you have. Uh, as far as dry, I'm saying with uh, cow manure, beef manure, uh, that type, 10 tons or less shouldn't be a problem. Uh, strongly, strongly suggest you have a good spreader. 
because if you have clumps that go out, not only is that going to affect planting when you go through, it's also going to probably kill patches uh, where those clumps lay on. So uh, now um, I know you're probably thinking, well, what about poultry manure? I never, I'm never going to put 10 tons of that on. That would be really, really hot, and it would be. So, you know, poultry, we're talking more like two to three to four tons an acre uh, simply from a nutrient standpoint because it's so, so rich, especially in nitrogen and phosphorus. Um, so I just put these numbers up for general, uh, and you're, you're going to have to apply them to your local area, local situations. One thing I wanted to put in here is uh, avoid overlaps, and this is also going to tie into another issue of the seeding rate of the cover crop. But I'll just say avoid overlaps uh, because, uh, I mean, of course you're going to want to, but some of these custom guys that aren't used to running where they're cover crops, they can get a little sloppy uh, on that aspect and, and don't take care. Um, now, I just threw this picture up here. I'm going to use this picture to illustrate two things. This is cereal rye, and this is where some manure was applied. This is, this is one of my pictures here. This is not good uh, when cereal rye goes down. And you can kind of see there's a little bit of a line through there. That would have been uneven application of manure. The, the, I'm not sure if it was the spring or the fall before this was taken here. So when you over apply and you have a, I'll just say a higher rate of cover crops, you could have this scenario where the cover crop, in this case, the rye is going to go down. Now, if it's just radishes or oats at winter kill, it's not going to be a problem in the spring. But if you're going to plant through this, if you're going to plant green, or if you're going to go in there and kill this when this occurs, again, this is with uh, cover crops that are growing a little bit more than, than just a foot tall. This is going to be a real problem if you're not set up to take care of it. And it's one of those management things that people don't think about, and, and, and it causes them to have a bad taste for cover crop. That's why I want to mention it here. Now, the other thing that's associated with this is the seeding rate of your cover crop. And seeding rate is, is, is very, very, it's very connected to the ability for a uh, cover crop to stay standing or to lodge. Uh, so, but that's also interrelated to fertility. So if you have a, uh, a field that's planted at the exact same rate and then you have double overlap where manure is put, that double overlap, the, it'll go down because it grows so much more and then it cannot stand. Seeding rates also are impacted by the time of planting in the fall. The earlier you plant, the more it's going to grow. The later you plant, you can increase your seeding rate to get to biomass that you desire. So all these things are interrelated, and I would just say, that if you're using a cover crop to just try to keep the nitrate nitrogen in your profile, keep the seeding rates on the lower side because you don't want this to happen. Now, what is typical, though, is most of our uh, farmers who have manure have animals, and because of that, they are using cover crops for forage. In that case it's not as much of a concern if the cover crop goes down. Now, I fast flip forward to the next picture, but you can still see in the background there, the same picture I was talking about. That would not necessarily be a big problem if you're going to take this out for forage. So I spent a little time on that just to because this is one of the challenges that come up when you're working with manure. So if 
you're not doing your cover crop for forage, keep your seeding rates on the lower side so it doesn't lodge. Now, if you're if you're one who likes to take out your cover crops earlier, this is not as important. But there's more and more people planting green, letting them grow longer. This becomes very important. And as I alluded to and mentioned before, that emphasize the grass type cover crops. Uh, limit the use of legumes with manure. And I want to be clear, I'm not saying no legumes. I say limit it because the legumes are not going to necessarily uh, take up a lot of nitrogen, although they will. They will take it up. They won't make it if they don't have to. So they can effectively help you, but it, it makes a lot more sense to be using grasses, grass-type cover crops in this case. I uh, wanted to share also... Uh, other types of uh, application, uh, this is a drag line. Um, it just, this picture doesn't show the drag line on it, but he's pulling a line through the fields. This is becoming more popular in areas that are that this uh, where you, where you can actually run a a, uh, a a line and pump the manure right to the tractor as it's going through the field. And in some ways, this is really really ideal because you're not pulling the heavy equipment the heavy tankers across the field um, this particular uh, picture i took in uh, central new york state um, and this was a field that happened to be interseeded that was taken off for silage and th this farmer was really happy uh this year the, the year this was done because again it usually starts getting wet in the fall but because he was drag lining and also his comment was the cover crop had the ground much more stable he was out there, and, and he he said, and, and, and it's the next the next rain we get, or he even said, like on radishes, within a couple days without any rain, he could see them greening up, because it was there's enough liquid there that it soaks in that they could grab the nitrogen. So obviously that tells us that there was nitrate nitrogen available. We know it's there, but uh, I, it was just really kind of exciting to to, to hear this farmer's. Uh, experience um, and uh, fairly large dairy I think about 2,000 cows 4,000 acres something like that and just to see that how they how they uh, really really felt that their cover crops and now and the use of manure was very very effective in what they were trying to do so uh, yeah it was just it was just good to experience that so there's some other options out there as well that aren't your typical using a like a spreader like we like we normally see um, but I also wanted to mention there's been some work done in Michigan uh, and you can look this up on the internet where they are mixing they were mixing cover crop seed with the manure so actually either dumping a, a prescribed amount of seed into the tank as it was filling and then just the filling process would agitate it around enough and basically using the manure as a mechanism to seed the cover crop. Uh, now that sounds really great, um, but it is a little difficult to keep it suspended so that the spread is even. Uh, it, it is There is some challenges to that. Uh, it does take a little bit more time or another person to be there to actually put the, the seed in. Uh, although some have said that as they're filling it up, you really don't need another person because that person can jump out of the tractor and put the prescribed amount of seed in. Depending on what kind of a pump if you, you have on there, of course, if it's a vacuum pump or a pressure pump, you don't have to worry about it. But you can chew up some of the seeds uh, um, a little bit that way. But 
there again, if it works, it saves you the time and effort of going out in the field and actually planting your cover crop with a with a, a, a with a planter and so forth. So um, uh, there's been research done on this that really hasn't taken off, and it's partly because getting the consistency of the the seed across the field has been the challenge. Now, a better way that's in a way kind of similar, but a better way, and I've seen this more uh, frequently, is broadcasting cover crop seeds immediately before manure application. So in other words, going out with your field in your fields and broadcasting with a spinner uh, or however you want to broadcast it on top and then coming and hauling the manure there. Now, this is really a nice way, especially if you're using higher rates, of uh of dairy manure is where it really works because of the increased organic matter now if you're doing this with hog manure then it all be it kind of becomes almost like uh just simple broadcast application hog manure has very low solids it's not going to be as effective as this but in higher rates of dairy manure like 10,000 12,000 that you're broadcasting on uh this can really be a nice way i've seen some really nice fields uh, here now again the weather does have to cooperate just that amount of manure is probably not enough to totally germinate it uh, especially in dry conditions but i would suggest that is a valid option for people that where where this could where this would fit into their system as a as a very inexpensive and quick way to get cover crops on there's there's nothing faster than broadcasting and then immediate manure application will help that cover crop germinate uh, a step or two better than just putting your cover crops out. Now, again, if you're going over really thick, heavy corn residue that's there, your stand is not going to be as consistent as, as it would be drilled. So there is certainly some limitations to this, but I feel very well worth mentioning. And then the other one I wanted to mention is uh, with irrigation equipment, there's uh, the technologies there to do that, uh, the, the right nozzles and pumps you got to have. Uh, there's certainly applications for this, either through pivots or through a traveling gun. Uh, definitely a good way to put manure on if that option's available. Um, so, so that's uh, again some of the other options that are available. And then wrapping up here, so get your questions ready. Uh, but wrapping up here, I wanted to put a slide in of uh, winter spreading. Uh, this is just, I feel that there's some opportunities that you need to take. Uh, for winter spreading and uh, if you have a field that has residue on it and a growing cover crop it's it's not a bad idea to do it now I would be very quick to mention that there are manure spreading regulations in place in a lot of areas of the country so you need to be aware of what they are I live in the Chesapeake Bay watershed and uh, we're not allowed to spread on frozen ground more than four inches because what could happen if you'd get a rain and it wouldn't soak in and it would wash off. We're not allowed to spread on snow, which is kind of obvious. But if conditions are right and the, and the ground is, is, is fit, we'd like it just to be frozen a little bit, we could put it out. Now, this is actually at my place here, and there is a, a late-planted cover crop there that was a pumpkin field. You kind of see the vines if you look close, but there's a late-planted cover crop there, little, little, little bit of green showing. Um, but I believe this was in February um, two years ago. So, uh, no, it was actually last year. Uh, so, uh, again, it was an opportunity to spread. That little tiny cover crop's already growing there. 
not much is going to happen probably for a couple weeks, but that cover crop's there ready to take in any nitrate nitrogen that's available. So, again, I feel that winter spreading is something that if you're able to do it, you got a cover crop planted, you're set up to be able to do that in a, in a very good way. So, in summary, uh, I'm just going to say that well-managed manure coupled with well-managed cover crops will keep variable uh, valuable nutrients in the field where they belong. And that's money in the bank for the farmer and a benefit for the environment. So I think, I hope that some of these ideas were, were helpful in, in, in being able to, to share with you that you could use them. Uh, so I would just um, like to open it up here for questions. I'm going to turn everybody's mic back on. And uh, I see that Nathan uh, I had a question here in the chat, which, by the way, feel free to type in the chat if you're near a computer. He said, what are your thoughts on nutrient tie-up and cover crop residue with producers that are transitioning to no-till and cover crops as opposed to those producers who have had several years of these type of systems in place? And um, that's a good, very good question, Nathan. You know, as, as we all know, especially the no-till portion, it does take some time to transition, but I will tell you that in conjunction with cover crops that just the transition to no-till could be, could be, could be shorter, a shorter transition than those who have, uh, you know, been doing this for a while. So I think that's again the plug for cover crops right there, manure use, that you're going to make that transition quicker. I would just say that in that transition, when you're thinking about manure management, you got to be careful that you don't pull, you know, heavy equipment over the fields when it's not fit. Now, as I said at the beginning, you earn the right to do that later on, where a similar scenario you couldn't have, but now you can because your field's a little more firmer. Um, so as far as the nutrient tie-up in the cover crop residue, um, I will say that something like a cereal rye, you're not going to get back every single pound of nitrogen that it took up, especially early on in a system. And I think this might be what you're getting at here early on in the system of, of no-till and cover crops, uh, because the, the microbes are going to eat first. That's just the rule you need to remember. And the microbes need to break this uh, stuff down. Now, over time, uh, you're, 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 you're essentially investing in your bank account here where you're feeding your microbes year-round more and you're getting increased organic matter that starts banking a little bit of available nitrogen incrementally over time. So um, I would say, uh, you know, a word of it's kind of standard knowledge out there. When you're getting in, it's the beginning of this system. You're not going to be cutting back your your fertilizer applications right away. Uh, it does take time for that to really kick in and benefit you. So, so I would, I would be very cautious there about cutting back fertilizer right away. If you're thinking, well, if I, if my cereal rye saved me 30 pounds of nitrogen from disappearing one way or the other, am I going to be able to, uh, credit 30 pounds next year? In the case of cereal rye, I'm going to have to say, no, you're not. Now, as you go along, you're going to be able to credit some of that. Um, but it, it's, again, all the other benefits you have to think about that you're getting in order to, I guess you'd say, build your foundation to stand on later on. And that's the point here. You're building your house, so to speak. And and later on, then you will be able to probably cut back your fertilizer. And, of course, 
that's all impacted by your crop rotation and you're using legume crops, uh, cover crops later and so forth. But I hope, uh, I hope I was able to, to, to answer that for you, Nathan, there. So is there anyone, I, I see there's another question here from Dan, but I'm going to ask anyone else that would like to ask a question uh, verbally at this point. Any, any other questions about manure management and cover crops? Well, Dan uh, Perkins has another question here. Has anyone had annual ryegrass winter kill when manure was put on in the fall a week before the first cold, hard cold spell? So I'll just put that out there. Um, I know we have some folks on here that have a lot of experience with annual ryegrass, especially you guys from Indiana. i got to pick on you a little bit, but you're one of the leaders, so. Uh, you might know the answer to this. And, and Dan is, Dan Perkins is from Indiana too. So, uh, any of you guys from Indiana, uh, or gals, uh, have, have any comments on, uh, annual ryegrass winter killing when manure was put on, uh, about a week before a cold, cold spell? Hey, Steve, this is Stephanie. Yes. Um, I, I'm in a, a, a room with uh, two other people here and we both oh. kind of looked at each other and we said, no experiences that we can actually recall right now at this time okay so. well that's good to know um i guess i'd have to follow up a little bit and asking if do you know of any producers who have spread manure uh before you know winter freeze up uh on annual ryegrass yeah this this happened a couple of years ago okay uh, when it was a really long warm fall oh. the annual ryegrass flown into standing corn so it was mm -hmm. i mean it was a fantastic stand oh yeah um and so there's a lot of growth and the manure is put on and then it just like dropped real fast and we we lost the whole field mm -hmm. um pretty early on so I, it wasn't it wasn't like a february warm-up and then cold snap that killed right. it we kind of connected to that fresh fresh growth from the annual yeah or that kind of burst ah. of well, tender tissue is what is is our thinking. Okay, but I got to ask you this: uh, How tall was the annual ryegrass at that point when it, when it when you were spread to manure? It was at least four, five, six oh. inches. I mean, it was a good okay. stand. Okay, I thought yeah. if you would have said if you would have said a little taller than that, I would have said, well, maybe just the fact that it was far enough along, uh, you know, it didn't mm. get to a point where. It almost smothers itself, uh, you know, in addition with the manure. I don't know, but four to six inches, I don't think that would occur. You, Dan, I believe Dan Tower was going to say something or? Yeah. Um, one of the, what we think is occurs, it's, if it's got, it's feeding on luxury nitrogen that mm -hmm. there's more water in the cells uh -huh. and, Basically, we get freezing conditions, and it makes it more vulnerable. That's okay. I got this from the discussion with Gary Lacefield. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, uh, we're speculating; we're not a hundred percent sure. Uh -huh. it, it, but it wasn't. It was manure was put on, and I'm familiar with one case where it was put on um, uh, earlier than that. But it, again. Good growing conditions. It was it was growing, and then the cold snap hit. So, what would be the recommendation to if we if we want to keep our if if the goal was to keep it alive? What would be the recommendation then if we see this scenario developing? I think that you know sometimes 
things happen. Great, I get that. Yeah. Well, I'm just I'm just asking this. If you have a lush yeah. if you have a lush stand, and again, I know there's constraints sometimes on how much manure you have to haul and you got to put it on, but maybe a thinner application would be prudent. And I mentioned that during my talk here, and that's this is I think part of the reason some guys are doing that. They're just they're they're choosing to go over their acres twice. It really for for a lot of people that does it. It's not like you're they're going to have to haul the manure anyway. It's just a it's just a factor of either driving faster or or something like that. It's not any more right. double wear and tear in their equipment. They're going to have to haul the manure anyway. Uh, so they're choosing to go over twice. It's almost like side dressing corn, you know, versus putting everything on at once. That's the theory, and I'm just. I'm I'm just thinking here that maybe uh uh that's the case here where if you have a lush stand if you can go with a lower rate. Yeah, and I don't I don't know what what rate was actually put on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um so, so I have another question though for you, Steve. Go ahead. Is this is about manure and I'm just confused. Why are you you so anti chicken litter oh i'm not anti-chicken litter we didn't talk about it i mentioned it that's when you were sleeping oh well that's probably <laughs> on the phone <laughs> that too <laughs> maybe you were texting <laughs> no i did i did mention it at the one time there about rates okay. um so no thanks for bringing that up there dan i appreciate it you know i i kid because i care okay so <laughs> <laughs> No, um, but, uh, but but one thing, but one thing, I have a specific question. Uh, we have a, a number of guys who are using a warm season cocktail after wheat, yeah. And a lot of times they want to put one or two tons of chicken litter yeah. on beforehand, right? But but at the same time, it's you know they got heavy with you know sun hemp, cow peas, uh, the legumes. Uh, Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just it's, no. I just left me a question. No, I, I in that scenario, and most guys know if they're going to be putting manure on. If we're talking over the summer, and they know they're going to be putting one or two tons of poultry litter, chicken manure, whatever, you know, a high fertility type manure, I would definitely slant their mix more toward the grasses than the sun hemp's or the or the, or the cowpeas. Um, uh, it just just like you know, to me, that's just pretty much a no-brainer to be able to utilize, particularly the nitrogen component of that. Right. Um, so that's again becomes down to fine-tuning the management. Uh, and in legumes, will take up nitrogen; they just don't need to make it themselves. They get lazy, and um, you know, as I understand, the legumes will take up nitrogen if it's there. But I don't think they're going to be as aggressive as the grass types in really cleaning out the profile. Um, so, so now I would strongly suggest in, in the summer, it's the same principles apply. You, you, you're going to go to the sorghum sedans, the millets, uh, anything that's grass that needs nitrogen, you, you want some of it. Now, if you're just putting on, like I said, a lower rate, that doesn't mean we go shift to 100% grasses, uh, because when you spread a, a certain amount of manure out, it's not like all instantly available. So you kind of got to cover for that. And again, it comes down to uh, managing for the situation. And that's, that's the details that we're, we're, we're starting to dive into a little bit here today. So I see that Don asked basically Dan Perkins here, 
uh, going back here about that annual ryegrass, how was that manure applied? What was the form of that manure? I don't know if Dan Perkins. It was, um, okay. Yeah, it was uh, dragline. Um, I believe it was farrow, farrowing manure, hog manure. Okay. So it was put, uh-huh. put on a, at that six, you know, uh-huh. the highest rate possible, basically. Uh-huh. Um, well. So that was part of it. I don't know if you looked at, did you observe, did it literally burn it? Like you'd see this, it was singed off? Because that's, that can be a factor. Like you were saying, it was tender and it, it, that hog manure could have burned it pretty bad. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't notice that so much. It was, okay. it, it was more just how vibrant and how uh-huh. fresh the growth was. Uh-huh. Yeah. They end up gone. Yeah. Uh, uh, what did they have on the tractor that they were putting it on with? And then, and then number two, how long did it take for it to go down? Did it go down immediately? I mean, it would, I don't recall. The, it was just standard dragline equipment. They, they weren't like, I mean, they were injecting it. And it wasn't like a no-till setup, so there was some disturbance. Oh, so you're saying they, that, okay, so you're saying it wasn't just broadcast, the manure was not broadcast on the top? Right. Oh, okay. What do you think? The, uh, how aggressive was the disturbance? Did that kill it? I wonder. Is is there a point in time with annual ryegrass if that drag line is going across it that it's going to dislodge it from the soil or however that you know I don't know how it was seeded in there or, or crimp it I, and yeah. not that annual ryegrass crimp but right. is there something right. like that with annual ryegrass? I'm, I'm wondering if the whatever yeah. unit they put on the tractor that was dealing with the manure didn't just catch it at a right very vulnerable time and. And this do something to it in conjunction with a high dose of, of nutrients. And in conjunction with, he said, a hard freeze after that. So it's it's like yeah. it's like everything kind of came together and it died. Right. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't consider yeah. farrowing manure to be super hot, though. I no. mean, no, farrowing manure would not be hot. Right. No, it would be more water than anything. It wouldn't be like yeah. finishing manure. <laughs> Maybe it was the water on the leaf. On the leaves, you know, maybe something to do with that. Maybe, it, like you said, towering. You plumped it up with all the extra wa- moisture and water on the surface of those leaves and caused an excessive amount of condensation. Then when it froze, it just really affected it. Good discussion here. I just want to make quick, uh, keep your questions here uh, coming, but I want to just to say that next week, we're going to kind of recycle a conversation we've had la- we had last year about planting green, and I was hesitating to put this back in again because I don't want to just go through the calendar cycle and just repeat everything I did. Because we're for those of you who have been with, from the beginning, we're over I'm, I'm over a year into this now, but but I do feel a couple things because uh, this is an up and coming, uh, very pertinent topic, and <clears throat> again this year with what is appearing to be a late planting, the interest in planting green is going to be almost, it's just because we have to. Um, so, or we want to leave our cover crops growing. So, so I'm going to kind of like add some things that we've learned in the last year. So I'm going to recycle this topic. Uh, but I also mentioned that you can go back and look at last year's topic if you're into this as well. So it's not going to be a, a carbon copy. I'm, I'm going to make. Uh, there'll be some similar pictures, I'm sure, and points. But I'm going to kind of give a refresher course on planting green uh, next week. So I just wanted to put that out there. 
But yeah, um, any other cover crop question? I just want to open it up here at the end here for any cover crop question. We can still talk about manure. We can talk about uh, uh, any other cover crop question you may have, you may have come across in the last week or so. Um, feel free to ask it, Sozer. Uh, what other questions do we have here today? Steve, well, I got Steve, a question. I... If someone, let that person go first. Okay, go ahead, Scott. Scott's from Alberta. Go ahead, Scott. Oh, I didn't say anything. So oh. it must be somebody else. I, I'm sorry. Okay, then. Well, Stephanie, you then, when you're done, maybe there's someone else. Okay. Um, I guess my question was maybe more of a discussion topic or something to think about. Um, I'm really interested in that idea of luxury consumption in the legumes. Um, I think that that's, uh, like you said, when a, when a legume is consuming the excess nitrogen in the soil, it's not it's not working to create a symbiotic relationship with the rhizobium. Correct. correct? So it's not putting those sugars out there, it's just consuming nitrogen. And in soybean crops, that tends to result in um, indicators or stress factors in our soybeans that we see later in the growing season um, that people confuse as drought stress when it really tends to be um, nutrient stress because the, the rhizobium isn't there to fix nitrogen for the plant. Um, but you are talking about those mixes and, and lowering the legumes amount but still having them in there. Um, I do think that it would be an important thing to keep in that mix because it, um, the other goal when we look at putting those cover crops out there in a manure situation is to take up those nitrates, right? Yes. Is to, and, and if there's anything that can take up those nitrates, um, legumes are good at it. I mean, if, if we had to fertilize a soybean, mm -hmm. it, it, it's almost twice as much nitrogen as what a corn crop needs yeah. or more. Right. Um, and so there would be great at taking it up, but I also think that having all those additional roots out there um, would then support those legumes when all of a sudden they were having stresses sure. because the rhizobium wasn't there. And then right. hopefully that rhizobium would still be in the soil profile mm -hmm. and allow them to build those relationships. Right. But thinking that that clover or whatever is going to fix nitrogen for you the next year, there might be less nitrogen fixed because their, their luxury consumption lessens that amount. So I guess – it wasn't really a question. It's just yeah. more something that I've been thinking about, like um, luxury consumption may yeah. be a, a key factor for someone trying to manage nitrogen with manure application, but then we'd have to be realistic about what that legume is not going to give us right. later. No, well said. I appreciate that. You kind of added to what I what I opened up there. So um, as far as your your reference to soybeans, I – there is some, I mean, this, this maybe will fly in the face what you just said, but there's some, there's some research going around out there that is showing some yield bumps from soybeans that you actually apply nitrogen to. Uh, and I'm not sure what to think about that. Um, but that's a kind of a good question in the context of what you just asked. Um, but, um, yeah. don't you think that commercial fertilizer is uh, moves more quickly than what a rhizobium does? That's, it's quite possible. Uh, I mean, um, and so I just think that if we if we start thinking about fertilizing soybeans just to get a yield bump, how much is that going to cost in the economic well, that, side of that would farming? Be, that would be my question. I would say, yeah, the economics is one thing, but if it turns dry, um, is that soybean, will it have gotten a strong enough foundation to, we'll just say, weather the drought? 
Uh, are you setting yourself up for a collapse at the end? I don't know, but that's some of the questions I would ask um, in, in that regard. Um, I like that. You just, have to keep put, you just have to keep putting the nitrogen on. Well, that's what <laughs> – yeah, if you're selling nitrogen, I guess that's what you'd say, Dad, right? Yeah. yeah. Hey, quick question. Yeah. Uh, since we're talking about manure, though. Oh, yeah. High, high, soils that have, let's say, manure – Plenty has been applied. P levels are through the roof. I hear a lot of discussion about that that uh, reduces that the microbial fungi doesn't function very well under those high P situations. Well, are you so you asking the question? Yeah. Okay. I've heard that too. Um, I wouldn't uh, wouldn't know how to explain it all. I just think we all know that when things get wildly out of balance that uh, things don't work. And, and I, I can tell you, I know of some fields that have had so much manure applied that their, their parts, well, their actual pounds per acre is between one to 2000 pounds per acre of phosphorus. And that'll take decades to pull that down. Really the only way you can almost do it is by like taking corn silage off or taking hay off and not, not returning manure to that. Um, and uh, I, one of the, one of the plots of land that I got last year was was one of those situations. I I tested it. I knew it was going to be high because I knew the history. And I kid you not, 1,900 pounds, that's pounds, 1,900 pounds of phosphorus per acre. Uh, so we're, I, put, I put hay in it, and we're just taking the hay off, and that field won't see manure for a while because I can't take the phosphorus out of the manure. So um, that's – but – I will tell you this, it's not bad, it's not bad, uh, but it certainly doesn't have the, um, <clears throat> I would say, the growing power that my fields currently have. Um, and I actually, Dr. Ray Weil was looking at using radishes to be able to bring down phosphorus levels in fields that have been basically too much manure applied and the phosphorus levels were high. His idea was to to take the radishes off in uh, late November, early December, uh, they would plant after corn silage, they would grow, and then they would dump them in a digester to help uh, generate electricity. I think he had a, a good idea uh, because the byproduct of that then could be hauled further away because it, it, it's you take the water out. And the idea was to get phosphorus off the farm easier. So... That's kind of a again one of those novel ways of trying to address that issue, but uh, just if you keep on dumping manure on, I don't think it matters how many cover crops you grow, you're still going to have high phosphorus. Yep. And, and I guess to your point, Dan, yeah, uh, too much. I mean, mycorrhizal fungi is known for extracting phosphorus and and helping it get into the plant. So maybe maybe we're making our mycorrhizae lazy i don't know i can't explain it i don't know soil scientist well i think that, that that's my take is it's yeah. just like added nitrogen for the soybeans that yeah. you're you're uh, same thing yep okay we have one more question was there someone going to speak earlier that we didn't get i'm not sure if we got that person or not anyone still has a question okay i'll just give this kind of a final chance here our time's about up uh, uh final question for today uh, I got one last question, Steve. Okay. Can you look out the window and see your son that he's working? Just a second here. I'm going to back up. Um, yes, I can. Okay, yep. good. He's, good. He just, good. He's just crossing the lane better now. Than knowing that yep. something's being done at the farm. He, and he is moving. The tractor's <laughs> moving, and there's 
and there's uh, mushroom compost coming out the back of that spreader I showed you. So thanks, right. thanks for your concern. <laughs> I'll, I'll, to, I'll tell him, Dan, that you ask about them. Yeah, please. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, thank you, everybody. Appreciate your good questions, your participations. Uh, go up on the Facebook group when you can. A lot of good discussion going on there all the time. Uh, appreciate your support, and I look forward to seeing you all next week. Have a good week.